I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the steaming jungles of uh, wherever we are, Africa, I think. Um, hard to tell. And uh, my name is Adrian Smith. And when I am not podcasting with Rod, I listen to podcasts by Rod. So <laughs> it uh, is a slightly surreal experience to have him in the room, as it were. So I'd like to introduce once again my co-host, Rod Barnett. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here. Um yeah, I, I guess I was actually I was listening to your um, conquest episode about an hour ago. <laughs> we had a good time with that one. Yeah, that is. I haven't seen it, but obviously, I need to. It got me thinking that maybe I, we should do a mini season of Conan ripoffs. Oh, that would be honestly that would be a blast because yeah, that was a that was another much like the Jungle Girl thing, another very short but intense period yeah. of exploitation. Yeah, yeah, and there are some good. Uh, there's some crossover with the sort of Conan stuff that uh, with this film that we're talking about today that I'll yes. get to later. So yeah, uh, but maybe you know I think once we finish this mini season, we need to take a bit of a break from people in loincloths. And... <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. Get to some films where people have got more clothes on. But anyway, so yeah, it's uh, quite an exciting time. This is our 50th episode, so that's the first thing to mention. Oh. I know, we've managed 50. That's fairly good going, I would say. I'm, <laughs> not I'm compared. Impressed. I don't know. I mean, you've done about 6,000 episodes of The Bloody Pit and The Nashi Cars, so... <laughs> uh, no, not, not, not quite, but yes. Got a, got a way to go. But hey, 50 is kind of a milestone, so uh, thank you everybody. If any of, any of you have been listening since that uh, very first episode, do get in touch. But obviously we've got bigger news, finally. We've got a couple of exciting things to talk about. I thought, first of all, Rod, you might want to try and persuade our listeners why they should be interested in Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf. Ah, well, 
probably because it is an absolute blast of a film. Uh, Paul Nashie's Dr. Jekyll versus the Werewolf or versus the Wolfman uh, is uh, one of the Valdemar Daninsky werewolf films that he made um, starting in 1968. And uh, it is a great film. It has been one of the, the, the big blank spots in the uh, releases on Blu-ray. Uh, it was released by Mondo Macabro on uh, DVD years ago. Uh, and uh, they have still had uh, trouble getting their hands on um, the unclothed version of the film. Of course, it being a Spanish film produced during the time of General Franco. There were two versions, one for domestic use where everyone is covered up and one where the, the, for export to us nasty people out here in the rest of the world who want to see nudity. Uh, and uh, the the good news is this new release that is uh, going to go on, uh, it's going to be pre-orderable on uh, Halloween Day, mm. uh, is uh, going to have both versions of the film. The uh, unclothed version, the, uh, the, the, the bits that are different from the clothed version will unfortunately come from a different... Uh, a, a less a lesser quality print, but it's the only way that they could do what they wanted to do, which is to present both versions of the film. Mondo Macabro has worked their tails off. This movie's uh, they're actually presenting it uh, also uh, as part of the set uh, on uh, UHD, so not just Blu-ray, but uh, even more high definition version of the film being released uh, as part of that set. Uh, it's very exciting. Two versions of the film, a raft of extras, and a commentary track from Troy Gwynn and myself, We of the Nashi cast, which is very exciting. We were thrilled to be able to do another Nashi film, especially one of the werewolf films. And this one is, this one's a blast. Uh, for those of you curious, we did produce two slightly different versions of the commentary track. Uh, yeah. One for the clothed version and one for the right. uh, nude version. So to, so in the second one, you yourselves recorded the commentary naked. Is that right? <laughs> Well, we always do it in loincloths. We don't want to embarrass uh, each other. We don't yeah, want to embarrass each other. <laughs> yeah, so congratulations on having basically two uh, UHD discs under your belt in virtually the same week. I'm a little surprised. It's pretty cool. Is this your first? Is this the first UHD 4K release for Paul Nashi? Um, you know, actually, I think. It might be the second, but I'll be honest, okay. I'm not positive. I forgot to mm. think about I didn't even think about that. I have to admit. Um, yeah, it just shows that there's there's future uh in these films, that there's you know, that they're interested in, in getting them out in the, the greatest uh format possible that most of us still can't afford. Uh, no, no, no. That's that's right. <laughs> uh, the uh, the first might have been the werewolf versus the vampire woman. Uh, uh, that yeah. came out from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, I think that oh, one, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, that one included a 4K. So this would Which, be the uh, second. Yeah, you, I think you and I, you invited me onto the Nashi cast a few years ago to talk about that film. I think. Oh, it's a wonderful film. It's it's amazing. Yeah. It's very funny. Is that the one where there's a big fight at the end with just the two of them rolling around on the floor? Yes, in mist and slow motion at times. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Um, so yes, yeah, so I mentioned there that this is your uh, that you've got two. Uh, UHD commentary releases at the moment because finally the one that we've been teasing for weeks and weeks and weeks has finally been announced um, since our last episode which is of course and many of you would probably have guessed by now anyway 
Severin's Danza Macabre Volume 2 actually does now feature Danza Macabre, um, which was supposed to be in the first set, but it wasn't ready, which is good for us because it meant that we could come in at the last minute and say, hey, you know who'd be good at doing a commentary for <laughs> Danza Macabre, a.k.a. Castle of Blood? And um, now, originally, I was told that they'd already got a commentary track, but they said, yeah, we've got room for two. And then finally, so it's been announced uh, this past week, and we are the main commentary on it. So I can only assume that we just blew the other one out of the water. Um, <laughs> or without... I, I was I was unaware of this. I did not. I was yeah. not aware that there was another. Oh, there there was a previous commentary yeah. that. Uh, uh, yeah, oh. I don't. I don't actually know. I'm sure the other one was very good as well. I'm not sure what happened. They have got a scene specific commentary by Barbara Steele. Oh, that which is wonderful. Yeah, I can't wait to hear that. Yeah. I know, right? So we are in excellent company, but I am so excited. I love this film with all my heart. And um, and I have done ever since I first saw it, which was actually not that long ago, within only in the last 10 years or so, as I keep regularly saying, I'm playing catch up with a lot of this stuff. But um, so I watched it uh, because it was a Margariti film, but I was just absolutely blown away by it. And I've loved it ever since. So yeah very exciting we did a I, I did an interview on this podcast a few months ago with the producer of the well the the daughter of the original one of the original producers who is who runs the company Cinematech Lear and they are the ones who've been responsible for doing this restoration and so I'd been in touch with them for a couple of years already anyway so I knew about the restoration but it was very exciting to discover that Severin were going to do it and anyway we're on it so uh, we did loads of research. I think it's fair to say it was pretty packed. Yeah. Um, if you listen to the Severin podcast where they talk about all the extras on this set, Kat Allinger just describes our commentary as dense. <laughs> and we'd like to stress that it's the commentary that's described as dense and not us. I know. Thank so that's, it's just like my school reports again. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's exciting because they're doing it as a UHD and Blu-ray which I know some people me sort of not too happy about that because it means the whole box set is more expensive. And I still don't have a 4K player anyway, or a TV. But nevertheless, it is there. So it's, there are three discs devoted to Castle of Blood. So this is basically a Castle of Blood box set with some bonus features. With like um, three other films, yes. Exactly, yeah. So there's a TV show called Jekyll, based on Jekyll and Hyde. There is a vampire film by the director of Baba Yaga called They Have Changed Their Face. And uh, then there is one which I'm sure will be the first film you'll be popping in when you get this box, um, is The Devil's Lover starring Rosalba Neri. Uh, yes, actually, probably so, because I'll be honest, I can't remember if I've ever seen it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, I definitely haven't, but I have seen Rosalba Neri uh, before. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and those so of us I, who have seen her are very happy that we have. Yeah. Yeah, obviously Lady Frankenstein is fab, and, and um, you and I did a podcast on that several years ago. Mm. Um, and then we, we talked about her in relation to Top Sensation, I think, when we did the commentary for Sex of Angels. Oh, so true. she's Yeah, so she's been on our radar. And then also there is a soundtrack CD thrown in, but not for... Uh, castle of blood but for the devil's lover anyway it's a really packed set and i am so excited to be in there um, not only because i love castle of blood but also because um this will be my first time 
being involved in a Severin release because, as I mentioned on here before, I was cut out of the documentary that was on the Blu-ray uh, release for Nightmares in a Damaged Brain. Hmm. So, so my biggest fear was with this that we'd do this commentary and we'd send it in and then it would end up not being used and I'd be like, oh, Severin have just got it in for me. So <laughs> it was a big relief when they finally announced it and I could see us on here. So, yeah, two very exciting releases to uh, look forward to. I know it all costs loads of money, but hey, what else is what else is it for? Ret- you know, retirement. <laughs> yeah, really, retirement and medications. Who cares? Is this ridiculous? Passing it on to your, you know, your offspring or uh, significant others. No, just they don't enjoy deserve life. it. Come on, enjoy life while you can. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so those two releases were announced uh, this month because it's sort of you know, Halloween time and. Dr. Jekyll is going on sale on Halloween. And if this was any normal cult film podcast, this episode we're recording right now on the 21st, what are we? Yeah, of October. We'd be recording a Halloween special, but we don't do things here like other people because this time we're still talking about Jungle Girls. We um, we kind of... it's. Consider it a holdover from warmer months. That would be a yeah. good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, in these chilly times, it's nice to look at a film where everyone's quite warm and uh, enjoying splashing around in the <laughs> ponds and swimming pools of the uh, Rome studios that they're pretending. Yes, that they're pretending uh, are in Africa. Africa. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, so we are, of course, talking about a film that you recommended we include uh, in this season. Um, which goes under a couple of different names. Um, Luana La Filia della Foresta Virgin, or Luana the uh, Virgin Child of the Forest, I think, or Virgin Daughter of the Forest, or Mm -hmm. Daughter of the Virgin Forest. Either way, Um, other people just call it Luana, or, of course, Luana the Jungle Girl. called Luana the Girl Tarzan which seems to be a little silly but okay it's a bit on the nose I mean she does she does swing from the trees this is true what I do like of course is this film does actually have a character who is George of the jungle (laughs) yes I know (laughs) which which uh, I'll I'll admit is is amusing and uh, Mm -hmm. one of the stranger little one of the stranger little tidbits within the film yeah Uh, of course it's yeah, this film has a very similar plot to our last film, and I'm quite confident that the next two films we do will also have quite similar plots. Yes, so, but this film does have a lot of interesting stuff to say about it. Um, I think so. Um, let's start off by just talking a little bit about the director and the stars, because there that's where the more interesting element comes in. I think so. The film 
um, was directed by. Now he's got it. What's his name? I've Robert, not read it down. Roberto. Is Re, Roberto Infascelli. Yeah, Infascelli. But um, Infascelli. on the credits, it says something else, doesn't it? Yeah, it's I like forget Bob. what the on-screen credit, but it's definitely an oh. anglicized pseudonym. This is really this is great podcasting right here. Uh, <laughs> hang on, let me see if I can find it. Oh yeah, so Bob Raymond. Bob Raymond as uh, Roberto Infigelli. He is uh, not what you would call prolific. No. In fact, he only directed two films, um, this one, and then five years later, actually one that is pretty well known, I would say, The Great Kidnapping, La Polizia Star Aguadari, um, which is a Polizia Teschi film, which I think is quite a good one. It's got Lee J. Cobb in it and... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Have you ever seen that one, The Great Kidnapping? No, no, I, I have not seen that one, but uh, it is highly rated, and so mm. it is one of those that I'm going to have to eventually seek out. It seems yeah. like this guy, much better known as a producer than yeah. a director. Yeah, and he wrote a few things as well. He wrote films like Night Train Murders mm-hmm. and um, Puzzle by um, Duccio Tassari. So, yeah, not a, but even then, quite a considering the italian film industry people were just doing hundreds of things um he didn't actually have a huge career but yeah writing producing he produced some westerns yeah and some polizia teschi films man which uh, i have definitely seen so yeah mm. and then unfortunately he was killed in a car crash when he was only um under yeah, wasn't even 40 when he died sadly mm. So yeah, quite a it's a relatively small career. He started out as a production manager um, in the early '60s, and then seems to just sort of segued into writing and then directing a couple of the films um, as well. But so Luana was his first film as director, which he but he didn't write this one. So it would be interesting to know. Well, are we sure? Or of that? did he? Because I checked the writing credit, and I think it's a fake name because it's yeah, literally Louis the only Rode. credit given for this this particular yeah, name that's true it's possible isn't it it's hard to say there's so little in sort of production information available about the movie um i mean it was clearly made because these were the films that everybody was making at the moment <laughs> and um this is what was hot baby yeah they'd just come out of watching gungala and thought right we can do that and uh they did um it was an italian german co-production but the, with a sort of international cast. So it's just worth mentioning, a, I think, three of them, basically. Um, we could start, let, we'll go in reverse order. So um, one of our characters, or the main f- female lead, who isn't Luana, is a character called Isabel. And she is uh, extremely recognisable to any Italian cult film fan. That is Evie Mirandi. Mm-hmm who has popped up on this podcast because of Planet of the Vampires, of course. Definitely, definitely. And she is also in um, From the Orient with Fury, which is a Euro spy film that I have spent a lot of time with over the years and was in my PhD and stuff, so I feel like I know her quite well. But there's lots of other films that she's in that I haven't seen. Are you familiar with her career beyond Planet of the Vampires? Uh, I do know from from the Orient with Fury, and I and mm. I uh, saw her in Duel of the Duel of Champions from oh, uh, yeah. 1961 as well. Mm. But uh, 
as 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 far as being you know more familiar with her career not really just you know I've, I've seen a couple of her films across you know the 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 ones that she did I was unaware until doing some research for this just how many of the Eurospy films that she was in I I did not mm. I did not know that from from the Orient with Fury was was only one of about six of those yeah. that she was in I was kind of stunned by that uh, yeah and and kind of makes me making think. them very close together it's like she just walked out of one studio straight into the next one and then straight into the next one she made a whole bunch in a sort of two years oh i know the release dates on them were insane yeah uh she did uh, she did one called gold singer <laughs> yeah get it get it gold mm. singer uh the same year that she did uh, planet of the vampires and from the orient with fury and then mm-hmm. in 66 she was in at least four mm-hmm. um wow uh she 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 uh she ate out and uh bought her clothes based on the Eurospy genre there for at least two or three years so and it's possible that she might pop up in our next season because she also did one of the uh sort of fumetti superhero films goldface the fantastic superman so i'm not sure if that's on our list but she might pop up again but yeah um and she gets a lot more to do in this film than she did in planet of the vampires i think because yeah. obviously that one is much more of a, uh, you know, there's a lot, more, a lot, lot more going on, and there's a lot of characters with speaking roles and, and so on. But well, her character in this film actually does a lot more than even the, the, the title character. Yeah. Well, yes, quite. <laughs> and so Isabel's companion on this adventure that she is on in the African jungles is our character George. Uh, of the jungle played by another actor who we are going to see again uh, in our next season glenn saxon and he is a actor from holland originally but spent most of his career in italy and uh, also but also germany did a few german films too and of course he was the masked uh supervillain criminal uh, with a k with a k in a couple of films, Criminal and its sequel, Il Macho de Criminal. Um, and we're definitely doing Criminal. I've definitely got that on the list. Cool. But he did a few other things. He played Django. Uh, he's done a few films that I don't know if it was mostly quite sort of culty. Was there anything else, any of his westerns that you're familiar with? Uh, no, I, I've seen uh, Django Shoots first. Um, but uh, I'm more curious, I, I, and I, I know I've definitely seen Criminal, but I don't know that I ever, or Criminal, I don't know Criminal. that I ever got to see the sequel to it. So that's that's an interesting area to go into. Mm. Uh, but the um, I was a little shocked at how short his career was, uh, yeah. given that he he seems he seems to have been you know a pretty solid little actor on screen at least, and he yeah. he, he, he definitely gets the job done. He's he's got the uh, requisite. Uh, chiseled features and uh, dark eyes that are required for you know anybody who's supposed to play Django, and it just becomes a question of um, exa- exactly what uh, what went down there because it seems like up until about 1970 or 71 he was he was working along and then he switched gears and went and, and went in another direction and then only sporadically does he return to yeah. uh, the screen. Um, he became in the 70s. He became a producer. Mm-hmm. Um, on uh, Italian television for Rye and, and people like that. So I think that's mainly why he, he stopped acting. I think he didn't really want to do the kinds of films that he was getting offered, like the because he was in some German sex comedies, and I guess 
he felt like that wasn't the direction he uh, he really wanted to go. So yeah, well, think yeah, about the phrase you just uttered. Think about the phrase "German sex comedy." <laughs> you know? Yeah. Think. Wow. And your your point being oil and water. <laughs> that's just what i'm yeah he's he's in some of the sexy susan films um or frau vertlin and uh, i've seen bits of those and yeah you know potentially funny at least one of them has um edward fenneck in but i'm not sure if that's one of the ones that he is in so there was a bit of crossover between the italians and the germans with those films yeah anyway i guess you know European comedy in general is uh, is an acquired taste, but yeah. So that's Glenn Saxon. So we'll you know look forward to seeing him, or at least seeing his skull mask uh, coming up in our next season. But of course, we're building up to the star that who's got the title role, even though she has no lines of dialogue at all, does not utter a sound. She doesn't even do any kind of chimp noises or anything. I know. Uh, the the t- so we have here Luana, played by an actress called Mei Chen, and um, she had quite a year when this film came out. She basically had an amazing time for about a year and a half, two years, <laughs> and then retired. So I was trying to find out more about her and who she was because she did things like. Uh, she, well, obviously this film, she's in The Rape of the Vampire, the Jean Roland film. Yeah, very, 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 very small role there. Blink and you'll miss her. Yeah, so it's mainly, apart from Luana, all the film, other films she did were in um, was in France. She's even in a film which I've never really heard of by uh, Boricic called uh, Théâtre de Monsieur et Madame Cabal. I don't know anything about that one at all. Hmm. Um Outside of the Beast, I have very little experience of Boracic, so, but yeah, so some interesting uh, movies. Nothing major. Probably the Rape of the Vampires, the most famous one she did. So I was trying to find out a bit more about her and um, where she's from and everything. And she's actually got quite an interesting story. So she is originally from Vietnam and was born in 1949. So she were you know during the Vietnam War, her mother managed to get her out of where all the bad stuff was going on uh, the bad yeah. stuff there the was a war stuff. that's it was um, a war yes it was horrible but so so she may chen was married to a guy called francois chalais who was um 30 years older than her and he so he was a journalist a french journalist who was covering the vietnam war he was the person who tracked down john mccain and interviewed him in a North Vietnam hospital. Yeah. Which became quite a famous um, interview. So that was Francois Chalet. So while somehow, and I don't know the full story, I've been trying to research it, but most of it's written in French, and I've not managed to get to the bottom of it. But basically, somehow they met in Vietnam, and he uh, fell in love with this girl who was only about 19, and brought her back to France. They got married and immediately she jumped into modeling and acting for about two years. So she did the films that we've mentioned. She also appeared in uh, magazines. She's in Mayfair magazine. So she, she did some sort of men's photo shoot type stuff. Um, so she's in Mayfair and uh, at least one other magazine called, what was it called? I've got it written down, Girl Illustrated. 
classy <laughs> stuff. Um, so if you search for her online, some of those pictures will um, will pop up as well as some publicity photos for this film. So when she made this film, she was still only 19. And then she seems to have just packed all that in and dedicated herself to her marriage. And it wasn't until he died. So they'd always planned, apparently, they'd planned to go back to Vietnam many years later. But he died in 1996. So in 97, she got involved in making some documentaries and went back to Vietnam and and made documentaries for French television. Um, But he's a really big deal in France as a journalist. There are there's there's a sort of documentary prize at Cannes named after him, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. So, quite an interest, and, and there are still there are photos of her more recently. I've been trying to find where she is now, because uh, now she'd be in her sort of early seventies. Um, I've not been able to track down what she's doing right now, but there are pictures of her not that long ago. At events and stuff so she's still around but um, yeah quite interesting that she's got all this extra sort of stuff to her background and then just randomly took her clothes off a lot for a year <laughs> and then stopped basically I wish there was more information out there I wonder if she has ever done an interview in any language uh, yeah. talking about her time making the few movies that she made yeah it would be really interesting to know more about that period, you know, coming coming from Vietnam to France, and because her husband was a kind of celebrity journalist, I guess that's how some connections were made, and she got invited to do modelling, which must have then led to getting cast in some of these films. Uh, I don't know how good her language skills were. Maybe that's why she doesn't speak. I don't know if she speaks in any of the other films because I haven't seen them. Yeah, but um, yeah, who knows? It's quite interesting, though. So yeah, there's not that's about as much as I was able to find out about her specifically. Um, but the film itself was quite a big hit and got quite a lot of distribution. I looked it up in the UK. It was released in 1969 mm-hmm. uh, by a company called Border Films, and I don't know if I've mentioned them. I probably have before. Because they did a lot of uh, low-budget European exploitation. I I wrote a lot about border films in my PhD. Sorry to keep dropping that. I've done a PhD. You all know. I'm sorry. I keep going on about it. Uh, <laughs> but it was because my focus was film distributors, and so Border came up. They had a really uh, interesting history. A couple of years after this, Border were in court in London, charged with obscenity for for the screening of a Swedish sex education film called More About the Language of Love. And there's a whole court case, and I've I yeah, I've written quite a lot about it. Really interesting company. They're part of a family of business well, part of a group of businesses that all were run by the same family. Mm-hmm. Um and the guy that ran it, EJ Fancy, he basically had two wives at the same time with children by both <laughs> yes you've talked you've talked about that before i, I mentioned still, before. I still yeah. love that story so so his second wife olive she ran border and his first wife worked with him at um ej fancy productions and they were just in different offices in soho like just down the road from each other and their kids so he had four children two by each wife and they all worked for the companies really bizarre uh anyway so that was i was quite pleased to see the border connection um, with this movie, but 
but the reason I wanted to mention distribution is because clearly there was a there was a lot of ambition behind the distribution of this film in America because I'm um, yes as I'm sure you've seen and hopefully other people will have seen this or they will by the time I I've tweeted a few more images but there was a lot of um there was a big attempt to to make this into kind of a big movie it's like they were attempting what was done with Hercules a few years earlier yeah where you take a cheap european film and then pump loads of money into it and make it a big thing so capital films were the company that picked this up run by a guy called Sol Fried who I can't find anything out about at all and I've been looking through variety articles and everything I can't find much about him but they got um what's his name Alan Dean Foster yep to write a novelization for this movie which that seems really bizarre to me you're just taking at face value why this film why would you bother but that was clearly part of the efforts to make it a much more important film than it actually was. Well, I know, and they 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 went out of their way. I mean, the the amazing poster art would be the the, the spot where you would say, "Wow, they really decided yeah. to spend some money on this thing." Well, they have artwork by Frank Frazetta, mm-hmm. although allegedly, depending on which you, what you read, I've looked, I've read it differently in other places. But some people say Frank Frazetta Frazetta did the artwork for the poster. Other things I've read say that it was adapted from his artwork. But I'm more inclined to believe it was actually done for this because he's got specific animals in the poster that are in here. So, yeah. yeah. Although in his artwork, she's holding a spear, which sadly doesn't happen, I don't think, in the film. Yes. We're, we're, once again, this is a jungle girl yeah. who, whose action, whose actions in the film involve essentially observing people. And there's a couple of versions of the artwork, and one of them was then reused mm-hmm. on the uh, cover of a Ed- Edgar Rice Burroughs novel, Savage Pellucidar, which I think I had a copy of at one time. I definitely recognize it. So there's a couple of Frank Rosetta's, um, there's like two versions of the same basic pose that she's doing mm-hmm. that he used. I'll, I'll tweet some of these out. But, um, but yeah, pretty amazing. But not only that. There was also a comic strip adaptation, I know, um, which I found online, which is really cool actually. And it was included; it was published in Vampirella magazine. Yes, uh, <laughs> issue thirty-one of Vampirella here, yeah. in, the, here in the states, which is uh, as soon as I see, as soon as you see the artwork that was used for the cover, you realize, oh, okay, this is this is a variation yeah. on on the 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 poster art or a different version of the character presented in that same way. But mm. yeah, I was a little stunned to learn this, which is you know. It's it's absolutely it's, fascinating. There was this 1974 yeah. full court press in the states to advertise this film. I know it seems like they were really trying to turn it into a big hit, and I don't. I'm going to guess that it probably didn't work because, um, like I said, I've been looking at. I was looking at Variety, and that's where they, you know, they 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 pick up on any news of what was going on at the time. And there's not even a review in Variety, which is quite unusual. So I don't know whether it's still, despite all this uh, artwork and stuff that was created in the comic strip, if the, maybe they just didn't do that many actual prints. I don't know. But the, there's there's no review in Variety. There might be in some local um, papers, but I haven't been able to find one, unfortunately. Oh, that's a shame. I'd be curious to know how well yeah. the film did here in the States. I don't know. Yeah, I've got no idea, which is a shame. But yeah, the, the this Russ Manning um, 
was the artist who did the comic strip and it's really cool so i'll i'll post a couple of images out from that as well well not only that there's the the, the those comic strips were done by russ manning and then the 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 version that shows up in uh vampirella was done by other people oh. there was an uh, an adaptation uh written by doug minch who's one oh, of my yes. favorite uh, 1970s and 1980s comic book writers and with artwork by by one of my favorite of uh, favorite from the uh, the Warren years the the Warren comic the Warren black and white comic magazines I I just love his work Esteban Moroto uh, I just ex- extremely great artwork and without a doubt <laughs> a much better version of uh, the, uh, any story linked to this than the film yeah. but it's 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 a it's a wonderful thing to see. Do you know, I hadn't realised until you just said that, that that it was two different comic strips. I thought yeah, it was yeah, the yeah. same one. No, no, no. There's there's the one it published in Vampirella is the one that uh, mentioned uh, and uh, Moroto oh, did. So where, where was the Russ Manning one published then? I'm not to sure. To be honest, I think that it was primarily used as uh, advertising uh, advertising uh, uh, art as part of like... Uh, yeah. Part of the... Uh, it's the kind of thing that could have been reproduced in local papers and stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess. They were they were essentially called mm. promo strips, and they were done. Right. They were laid Got out it. in such a way so that they could be presented as either like uh, the standard three strip newsprint uh, newspaper okay. strips, one at a time, or they could be reproduced. Uh, you know, the panels could be rearranged so that they could be presented as essentially like two pages or three pages that would uh, assemble itself into a kind of you know, short comic story. Uh, right. It's um, it, it's fascinating. The it's it's very clear that Russ Manning was was uh, basing his work on the the Frazetta images that that were already present. And uh, but Russ Manning was an amazing artist. It's it's really dynamic stuff. Yeah. But then, like I say, you have two different artistic. If, if you count the 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 painting done by Frank Frazetta, you've got three you know, great artists from that period of time working in, in uh, fantasy artwork who have their fingers on Luana. And I don't know that you could ever say that about another one of these Jungle Girl films. I know, it's amazing. And then, so yeah, I'm just looking at one of these ads that was, yeah, like you said, it must have been for the paper. And it does say um, Luana opens Wednesday, November 7th, citywide mm-hmm. at theatres and drive-ins near you. So it seems like there was a really big push. Just makes you wonder why Sol Freed was making was you know figured that this was the film. You know, of all the films he had that he could have used, um, I did find one article about him in Variety about Capital Productions. Um, they had an eight feature release program for 1972 films like Keep Off the Grass, The Fear Maker, White Teacher in a Black School which I've oh, never heard oh. of that. I don't know what that is. Um, but then he also, he refers, he refers to Luana as being released for the kiddie market, which is interesting. Oh my. It was being sold as a, ch- well, yeah, but that's why I thought was interesting as well with the BBFC rating for the UK. It was a U rating. And in the States, it's a PG. So this was being aimed at children, despite the fact that the star of the film is running around. Starkers. Just wearing a, a G string. Yeah. And, uh, and a guy um, gets eaten by a giant plant. So, and my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's interesting. So um, Solfrey did also he sort of produced a couple of movies, and then seems to have just dropped off the face of the planet. So yeah, it's a it's a mystery that they put so much effort 
into this particular film. And I can only assume it's because he was just picking up whatever he could get that was cheap. I guess. And then figured he would he would try and and use that um that sort of Joseph E. Levine technique of taking something and turning it into something huge, which was, you know, the trick that he pulled off with Hercules and Hercules Unchained. But yeah, worth checking out. The artwork is really cool. Now the the Alan Dean Foster novelization, have you ever read that? Yes, I read it years ago. As a matter of fact, uh, I ran across the first thing, I, the first time I ever had any any knowledge of Luana at all was I ran across uh, a copy of his novelization in a used bookstore oh, and nice. was simply stunned. I was like, I, I had no idea what in the world this was, but the, <laughs> the cover art, of course, was gorgeous. And uh, yeah. having been a fan of uh, Alan Dean Foster from uh, a, a lot of his, a, a lot of his science fiction work over the years, plus it's impossible to not be a science fiction movie fan and not run across his name because of his, uh, his novelizations of a lot of the bigger films over the years. I mean, alien and, uh, well, the first three alien films, uh, wow. Yeah. His, 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 his work in the, in the kind of novelization movie tie-in stuff is, is legendary. Uh, and so I got very curious about it. I had not yet read the novel, and at the time did not have any way to actually see the film. Uh, but I got curious about it and I looked up Mr. Foster's website and found that you could contact him. You could send him a, you could send him a, a, a note on his website. Oh, so nice. I did. Uh, I wrote mm-hmm. Alan Dean Foster and asked him about this and he was nice enough to write back. We wrote back and forth a few times with him answering my questions. He was, he was cool. very, he was very nice about it. It was very, it was very cool. And so um, that's what I learned that uh, this uh, that Luana in 1974 was actually the first movie novelization he ever did. Um, he was he was contacted uh, and asked if he would be willing to do this. Uh, he said yes, and uh, they okay. So I asked him, you know, how, what was the process like? Well, how did it happen? And he said, well, there was no shooting script of the film available. He said he, he says I did the novelization after watching it in Italian, which I don't <laughs> speak. I didn't know that it was based on anything else. I didn't know what the background of the film was. I have no idea. I had no idea about it. Um, The, the, uh, so essentially he watched the film in Italian and realized, okay, I don't really know exactly what, uh, what is going on here. I can surmise it. So he kind of just made up his own story to do the novelization, you know, Keep, keeping you know keeping with what was on the screen in front of him and just making up the details on his own so um he he was he was kind of a, he was kind of amused by the fact that the funniest thing that that revolves around his involvement with luana is that uh, after the novel was was uh published uh disney got in touch with him uh they had read the book and wanted to buy the film rights from him and they didn't realize at the time that it was a novelization of an existing film. Even uh, though it was basically a new story. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so the, you know, nothing, nothing ever happened with that, of course. But at the same time, the, uh, the, the, my, my fascination with this started there. And uh, oh. so after writing back and forth with him, I, of course, then sat down and read the novel and realized that, uh, yeah, his story is much better than the one in the film. Uh, I don't remember the details of it. I do just remember that 
beyond just the things that you would expect from a novelization, which is, you know, broadening the story out and deepening it so that, you you know, you, a novel allows you to get inside the heads of characters and get into their motivations and get into what drives them and therefore makes uh, for a more satisfying story overall. It, it also just was a better version of what was on the screen, no matter how you slice it. And it's one that I've held on to because I, I know eventually I will want to reread oh, it cool. just to remind myself of, uh, you know... This is this was not only if the, his first attempt at this, but you know one that proves that if you just would have employed a writer at the at the outset, you know, someone yeah. other than whoever this fake name Lewis Lewis was it Lewis Reed I can't even Lewis remember Road Lewis Road, yeah, uh, you might you know you you could have come up with something for probably the same budget that was much more interesting. And do they use the Frank Frazetta image on the front? Yes. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah, when I re- when I discovered there was a book, it was sort of too late for me to get one and read it before we recorded this. But uh, hey, if anybody is planning on doing a full restoration of Luana and is going to put it out on uh, Blu-ray and needs two guys to do a commentary track, I will read the book first for that. <laughs> I mean, this is another film that would look gorgeous. It looks like it's really beautifully shot, but unfortunately the copy is not great. It's a little shocking to note that there is, there is a fair number of well let's let's put it this way there's a certain percentage of the um the stuff that takes place outdoors supposedly in Africa that is actually shot yeah. outdoors uh probably yeah. not in Africa but there's a, a combination of the well what we what we've come to expect from jungle girl films of this type which is that you know it's a set pretending to be somewhere outdoors in africa but there are yeah. a number of spots where you know they're really outdoors they're out in the in, yeah. in in the real world yeah in a park in the middle of rome probably probably <laughs> but no there are there's bit, I mean, they're using um they've got various different animals which i'm assuming are probably from a local circus or something i know um there's luana's best friend is a chimp and i Honestly, every time that chimp comes on screen, I'm just terrified for Luana in case this is the moment where he decides he's had enough and he's just going to rip her face off. Yeah, yeah, who knows? Uh, chimps are chips are, are, are indecipherable. Yeah, but uh, thankfully that doesn't happen. So I have a plot summary, which I thought we could just go through, even though... Cool, yeah. You know, if you heard us talk about the previous film, then it's, it's pretty close. We could almost use yeah. the same plot summary. Um... But anyway, so I've got a plot summary from the monthly film bulletin review because this was reviewed when it came out here in the UK. And it's quite a good plot summary. So here we go. Anxious to recover. Now, bits of this are not my memory of the film. But anyway, anxious to recover the papers lost when her scientist father, Donovan, was killed some years ago in a plane crash in the virtually unexplored Tranganau. Oh, hang on. (laughs) Trankangala country. Isabel persuades author-adventurer George Barrett, the only person familiar with the territory, to act as her guide. So, yeah, the film starts where we see George um, in some previous adventure, which ends with him getting a load of uh, poison darts blown into him. uh, And he's kind of lying on the floor. And then we're, I think we're supposed to believe that after that he quits being an adventurer and just spends all his time in a local bar playing playing cards. And mostly so drinking, tra- yes. Yeah, and drinking. So she tracks him down. I'm fairly sure that that exact same thing happens 
in uh, at least one of the cannibal films. Uh, which one is it? The, which is the cannibal film with Mimi Lai? Oh, Eaten Alive. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, yeah. I'm sure this starts the same way. Um, so she persuades him to come with her. Now, it says here that she's anxious to recover papers. I don't remember papers getting mentioned. I thought she just wanted to find the plane that her, where she wanted to find her father because he died in a plane crash in the jungle. Yeah, and, and there it. and there was yeah there was there seemed to be some hemming and hawing about, um, you know what they might be able to recover from the plane yeah. crash if they were able to find it and so on. Yeah. So eventually he agrees, and it, so it says here they're joined by Fulbright, Donovan's former partner, and Isabel's trustee and self-appointed guardian who has previously tried to persuade her not to take the trip. And of course, we should mention that she is wearing um, a necklace with a sort of pendant on it that we've seen before in the film, because when George of the Jungle was uh, incapacitated by the blow darts, he gets briefly sort of rescued by this beautiful woman, uh, Luana, who is wearing the same necklace. Yep. And so now, whenever he sees this necklace, he has this kind of weird moment where he has to hold his temple and close his eyes because he's gone a bit dizzy. So <laughs> somehow seeing this thing again is bringing back some sort of trace memory of the poison in his bloodstream and uh, confusing him. So I think that when he sees that, it persuades him that he should do this because clearly, you know, it's important. Anyway, a series of mysterious incidents en route suggests that someone wishes to prevent the party reaching their destination. Now, we should, there's a couple of things that happen. There's a bad guy who wants to stop them, and he is in with the local tribes people, mm-hmm. and there's a brilliant scene where the two of them have to arm wrestle, uh, and where they lie on the floor, and whoever's whoever loses the arm wrestle gets their hand stung by a scorpion. Yes. And I don't know about you, but they look like real scorpions to me. Well, they were definitely real scorpions when they were they were dumped out in those little uh, thorny circles to hold them into yeah. a certain spot. But uh, I did notice that once the uh, arm wrestling began, um, they were they were definitely not real scorpions. Uh, the, oh, really? The movement, yeah, the movements became much less uh, much less indicative of something that has okay. a will of its own. Let's put it that See, way. See, I didn't notice because the copy I was watching wasn't so hot. But maybe in a better copy, yeah, it's a bit more obvious. But I was really impressed. Oh, it's it's a, it's a cool sequence. It's one of those moments where, um, let's be clear, these Jungle Girl movies, they are, as I have said before, much of a sameness. You're not yeah. going to find a lot of variation on the kind of story being told or even how it's going to be told to you from one film to the next. So when this scene pops up, it's one of the first moments in the in the film where you're like, "Oh well, I haven't I haven't seen this before. This is kind of cool." Yeah, it is cool. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a moment of interest. And so he beats this guy, and because of that, um, anyway, it turns out this guy is working secretly with Fulbright. They're in on something together, which is uh, sort of interesting, I think. Anyway, back to the plot summary, sorry. Thanks to George, they evade traps and perils and are further helped by a jungle girl known as Luana, revered by the tribes as a goddess. We're not really told why, no. but apparently she's a goddess. I mean, last time she was a goddess because she had that jewel around her neck. This time she's a goddess because she can speak to the chimps. I don't know. 
Well, she does. She does seem to have the ability to kind of. I don't. I don't know if the word control would be too strong a word, but she does seem to be able to to influence animals to do things that they wouldn't necessarily do on their own, which is demonstrated a couple of times. Most effectively, I think when um, one of the uh, one of the members of the safari are about to be attacked. Well, no, there's a. Well, it, it's it's when um, the natives have uh, have uh, tied out a, a goat to uh, yeah. get a, a, a lion or a lion. A, I, I, can't forget, I think it's a lion to uh, to to get into a particular area, and she actually is able to to command this lion to not attack the goat and to leave, and. Uh, uh, so, which is quite—I mean—it's quite impressive because that really is her yeah. in the scene with a real lion and a real goat. I mean, that—that's a very well-trained lion, or perhaps a lion that's had a lot of food already, so he just isn't bothered about the goat. <laughs> I, I will say that this time, watching that scene, the—the—the uh, the, the thing that popped into my mind amusingly enough is that when she unties the goat and and lets it go off on its own, the goat goes off in the same direction the lion went. And I'm like, man, you, yeah. some, some animals you just can't save. <laughs> I know. I thought that as well. It's funny. Um, there's also a great scene where Luana goes into the camp at night, which I swear is the same set as the camp in the last film. I know. Um, I, know. There's, I mean, it's. It, it, they honestly could have just passed these sets from one yeah. production to the next. And so Luana is sort of checking out these, uh, these, these people, and, and particularly she's interested in um, Isabel, and there's a great scene where Isabel goes for a naked swim in the uh, by the waterfall, and so Loanna steals her clothes, which is mm. pretty funny. Because then there's a hilarious comedy scene where Loanna is trying to work out what you do with a bra, and so she puts it on her head, which is pretty. Well, funny. I like it. She, she drapes it around her hips. Yeah, and puts it on her head. Yeah. <laughs> um, so eventually, so we find out that Fulbright is a baddie, and he's working with this other guy. And he's trying to stop. He wants them to kill Luana because Luana is, is, is well, I think by now we know, um, or Isabel knows, or George knows, somebody knows that Isabel, oh no, Isabel knows, sorry, that her father, he had a second marriage to an what they call an Oriental princess. Yes. And so when the plane crashed, it was the father, this woman, and a three-year-old child. So now we know that Luana is the sort of grown up of that. Yes, she's now 18, 18, year old, 18 years old, yeah. mute, and in command of animals. Yes. Yeah. Fulbright wants her dead um, because he's basically got some kind of secret he's trying to keep covered up that he thinks she will reveal. I'm not entirely sure how because she doesn't speak. Yeah. Let's let's discuss this this secret. <laughs> I mean, let's let, let's let's be clear. They've cast an actor. <laughs> in this film in that role um the 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 actor playing norman um yes uh who was the business partner of um uh isabel's father you know they're they're there and and there's this back and forth between the two of them for the first half of the film where uh isabel's wanting to you know like kind of confess information about her her father and you know the, the the second marriage and the the child and the whole nine yards. Yeah. And Norman is doing his best to keep her, to keep her from speaking about this information. Like, like we're in a, 
I don't know, like we're in a genteel society party where, you know, we want to keep things above board. And then so when she when she does uh, put this out there, it, it, it just makes it all the more evident that there's something going on here because the actor that they've cast as Norman, he, he's he's right out of central casting for slyly villainous. Uh, I mean, yeah. he's obviously going to turn out to be a badden no matter what yeah. happens. And, and, you know, that is that is true. Uh, but at uh-huh. the same time, the how how did I, I've got to know by the time they introduce the the plot element that is driving Norman to be there in the jungle to be concerned that uh, information about um, Isabel's father doesn't become more publicly known. By the time we get to that plot element, I was just like, wow, okay, that's unexpected. I mean, don't get me wrong, it does explain the uh, the uh, cooperation of the 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 native uh, the native bad guy. Uh, you know, essentially, there's a lot of money being made here. But at the same time, yeah. it, it's one of those things where it's just like, wow, that that they they kept that in their back pocket for a long period of time in this story. <laughs> I know. Incidentally, this actor is Pietro Tordi, mm-hmm. and he was in, amongst other films, Quo Vadis and Ben Hur. So, uh, quite according to the IMDb, he'd been in over 150 things. So, um, Luana, being the bad guy in Luana and having to get eaten by a hungry plant, was just <laughs> another day at the office for him. I think. And yes, and po- possibly the low point of his career. It's hard to know. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. There's this whole conspiracy that he's involved in. So it turns out they eventually realise because Luana um, flirts with George mm-hmm. and then she re- she shows him that there is a plane crash but it's in a lake. So unlike the last film where there was a, a fun sexy photo shoot by a, a plane with a skeleton still hanging out of it, this time the plane has crashed into a lake and Luana knows where it is. She swum down there. Which must suggest to me that when she was three years old she was able to um, get her seatbelt off and swim out of the crashed plane. Oh come on! Or, this was the 1950s when that, when this would have happened. Seatbelts didn't exist. Maybe she was thrown out of the window before it crashed into the lake. <laughs> Possibly, who but, knows? Uh, Probably rescued by a kind crocodile. Yeah. So she is revealed to Joel that she knows where this plane crashes. So he goes down there. They've brought their scuba gear. So him and Isabel head down there. They discover. They come back from the plane with um, a sealed, helpfully watertight suitcase, mm-hmm. briefcase. And in there is a diary, which reveals that Donovan had discovered a carnivorous plant. Oh, yeah, because I think we don't think we'd mentioned he was a scientist. Anyway, uh, so he's discovered a carnivorous plant from which a powerful drug can be extracted. And Fulbright, who is his partner, had been trying to get him and had, uh, to exploit the drug and had been trying to kill him. There'd been two attempts on his life already. And now, obviously, the plane crash was the third and final one. So this is where the big reveal happens. But we've already known that Fulbright is a bad guy by this point, so it's not a huge surprise. And then the local tribe turn up again. Um, and the the guy whose name I keep forgetting that we saw earlier on in the film Ukeke, is it? Oh, yeah, Who's, yeah, Ukeke, the, Ukeke, played by uh, Alfred Thomas, yeah. Yeah, so that's been um, that's been Fulbright's partner in crime. And so him and George end up having a fight next to this big killer plant. 
whilst they're surrounded by the tribes people with pointing their blow darts at them and then Luana turns up again and all the tribes people say Luana and they all run away yep not gonna mess with her (laughs) and George takes that moment of distraction to shove a baddie uh, what did I just say his name was I'm so sorry. Oh, uh, Norman. Ukeke. Ukeke. Oh, you, oh I'm Ukeke. sorry. Yeah, you, Ukeke. Isn't it Ukeke? It's, yeah, it's not Norman. It's Ukeke who gets shoved into the plant. Yes, indeed. And uh, Suffer and a fate dies. worse than... I don't know. Isn't it? Oh, so then... Because in here, it says Fulbright falls victim to the plant. But it's not, isn't it? It's Ukeke. Fulbright's not fighting with him. Don't they just take Fulbright back with them at the end on the boat? Oh my goodness! I, I I hate to say this. I just rewatched this film last night, and I can't remember. Oh my goodness! I'm pretty sure Fulbright's just looking a bit sheepish and going back with them on the boat. Well, I think I think uh, the reason that I can't remember is that my my memories of the ending are of me sitting there thinking for like probably the third time watching this film. Why 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 are they trying to so hard to justify not even offering to take this woman <laughs> out of the jungle? <laughs> yeah, like so. Because yeah. Isabel... it's hard to just say, well, we'll just leave her here. Isabel, this is Isabel's sister, and George is like, she all she knows is the jungle. She doesn't want to come with you back to civilization and wear bras. She wants to <laughs> stay here and let it all hang free. Yeah, so yeah, they live with the chimps. Yeah. Maybe you're right, but I can't find peace anymore. Is that true? Now that I've known her, I just can't forget her. Why should you forget her? You'll be keeping sweet memory alive of Luana and her happiness, which we in this jungle doesn't like us Europeans. It rejects us. It's all the world to her. They, they don't even ask her. They just get on the boat and wave. I know. It's It's... <laughs> It's such a that that's that's my 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 memory of the end of this film is just every time sitting there and thinking, couldn't you ask her? I mean, couldn't you say something like, do you want to do you want to come with us? This is your half sister. Maybe there should be some kind of connection here. Yeah, they don't even really. I don't think she even has a conversation with her, or you know, any attempt at communication at all. No, none. It's just pretty funny. So yeah, they just basically leave her behind, and that's that's the end of the film. Sorry, everybody, if you were hoping we weren't going to spoil it, but uh, oh well, yeah. I mean, sorry. Yes, some people go. live, that some is... people die. Real yeah. credits. Yeah, uh, I'm just checking the film now. Actually, I've got it in front of me to see who it is that falls in the plant. Well, I just I would like to say that for whatever reason, um, in the 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 small pond that is jungle girl films from the late 60s uh i have to admit this is one that i enjoy more than average this one it feels a little above a little above average for the others because there are some elements in it that that are a little more fantastical and a little more interesting uh you mentioned the you know the 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 scorpion uh arm wrestling sequence and there's the uh the man-eating plant, which is pretty darn good, pretty darn good little thing. I mean, that whole that whole sequence yeah. with the, the the man-eating plant that's kind of fascinating. I don't know how much that thing cost, but it looked pretty darn good. It is a KK who fell in. I'm just looking at it now. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, Fulbright just, uh, I'm pretty sure he's just on the boat at the end. Let's have a look. Where so I guess he? they're taking him back to, uh, to the, uh, to the, to the lawful officials. Is he dead at the end? There's a whole thing. There's a whole thing with crocodiles as well at the beginning of the movie. Oh, I know. It's like, it's like a bit of a bit of footage out of a Mondo film where we watch one crocodile kill and start eating another one. Yeah. Oh, I wish I could remember what happened to Fulbright. Oh, doesn't he just get shot? Then they have a fight and he shoots himself. Is it one of those? Anyway, no, <laughs> oh, I think that's he is... right. He does get shot. He's wrestling with George. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He, no, he's getting shot, and George is close friend uh, Mabogo, mm-hmm. who um, is with him for the whole time. Or is it? No, it's not Mabogo. Oh, no, he gets he he's, gets shot by George. He's got another friend. He's got another friend. He's got George has got another faithful friend with him who saves him from trouble a lot of times and he shoots him that's it there we go this is exciting this is this makes for great listening isn't <laughs> this it? is amazing podcasting um, this is this is how you know that this film stands <laughs> up and out yeah, from the past it stays in your mind so i just wanted to end with the review from uh from monthly film bulletin strip cartoon poppycock which might have been agreeably improved had the chinese looking and largely nude jungle girl been allowed a more prominent role in the scheme of things. The villain is from his first entrance so obviously villainous that the only question the script poses is how he will meet his just desserts. Hmm. In the event, he is assimilated by a carnivorous cabbage. (laughs) Carnivorous cabbage, that's not a bad way to put it. So clearly this reviewer had the same problem that you and I just had. They couldn't remember who died in what way at the end. Because they've remembered it as being Fulbright who died in the plant, but he didn't. He just got shot, and it was Ukeke who fell in the plant. So there you go. It's not just us that can't do yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I, I got to be honest. This this is <laughs> very very similar to any number of these particular films. The it'll be the, the there will, there will be very little variation uh, in terms of story or plot of, between any of these movies as we talk about them in this mini season. Mm-hmm. But this once again uh, points out to me just one of the one of the reasons why this was had to be. A short-lived, um, a short-lived um, uh, subgenre. Yeah, it has to be because invariably, for whatever reason, they make the choice that the Jungle Girl is going to be so passive as to be almost extraneous to the story being told. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, this is an. This is. Uh, it would be easy to imagine. Of course, there would be no exploitable thing for the poster art or. Or in you know the the uh, the obvious uh, draw of uh, you know mostly naked jungle girl to to get butts in seats, but you could extract the jungle girl from the story completely and still have pretty much the same film, and because because she has so little effect on anything that occurs in the story or plot, there's almost nothing there. It's really. Uh, it could easily be rewritten, and there, it just there did not seem to be the will or the desire to write a Jungle Girl film where the Jungle Girl was a full participant in the story and also savage and feel you know and and, and uh, in in a in a sense a kind of actual female version of Tarzan, a character that drives the story. Yeah, it's uh it's really strange. It's one of those things where you see this subgenre and realize. Wow, so the title character is always going to be passive. That seems like a mistake. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Well, we'll find out when with our next film. We've got two more to go. Let's see if the, the scripting opportunities improve. We've still got Samoa starring Edward Fenech. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to do Tarzan of the Wild Girl. So let's see if they get um, a better crack at some dialogue in those uh, <laughs> or not. Um, but yeah, I think these would make for a great themed box set uh, if somebody was brave enough to, to do that. Oh, I would love to do. I would love to see interviews with anybody who yeah. survived. You know, who's, yeah. who's 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 able to be on camera. Just just some some information about the productions of these films would be yeah. fascinating. And I do think they would scrub up really well these movies because they're mm-hmm. beautifully shot, and they just need to look better than they do. This one is on YouTube, and uh, it's in English, and it's not bad, but it it's not great. And yeah, I mean, it's 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 what I would refer to as watchable on YouTube. Yeah. With a with a star like uh, Mei Chen, you want to uh, be able to appreciate the the role and the, the craft uh, more fully. So anyway, uh, I think we'll leave it there before I say anything that I'll regret later. I just wanted to finish off. We had another email. I think last time we mentioned uh, in an email from uh lee parkins how tenebrae was apparently a post-apocalypse film so i and we were you and i were both a bit confused by that so this is according to something that alan jones said so um lee says to paraphrase from memory alan jones said he liked the sparse clean low population look of tenebrae and dario argento said it was because it was after the apocalypse really oh i Oh, I see. And the what? Said Jones. He hadn't told anybody else, but the backstory was there had been a virological outbreak, vastly reducing Earth's population and also making the survivors hygiene obsessed. There you go. (laughs) Apparently, that is the backstory behind Tenebrae that uh, Argento didn't tell anyone or make it clear in the plot. But it, I mean, it does look quite futuristic in some ways. But yeah, yeah, in some there ways, you, it's true. But there you go. Wow, that's yeah. I've got a. I've now got to schedule in a rewatch of Tenebrae. Yeah, so. well, that's always going to be a good mind, thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, you could never watch those films enough, so I'm sure that's worth it. Um, anyway, so I think we'll leave it there. Thank you, everybody, for joining us once again. And, you can now take your loincloths off and hang them up, or or leave them on, please. I mean, it's... leave it on, but it's getting, it's getting chilly. Um, <laughs> but we'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, Samoa. I think is the next one. Okay. So that's, that's something to look forward to. Well, Edward Finch, come on. Exactly. Uh, in the meantime, uh, don't forget uh, our plugs at the beginning. So you've got Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf mm-hmm. and also uh, Dance of Macabre Volume 2. If you haven't had enough of listening to Rod and I over 50 podcast episodes, then you can get more by listening to commentary tracks. Uh, and also, of course, Rod's podcast is still going strong over on the Bloody Pit. So um, whereas I haven't really got anything else to mention, I think I've plugged all there is uh but yeah oh i don't know did i mention it last time mark of the devil vinegar syndrome i probably did oh you you, anyway. you did mention uh mark did of i the mention devil, that you might yeah. you might want to bring that up one last time so yeah just because that's not out yet but it's been announced that i am on as a as a interview 
are on the bonus features for Mark of the Devil, which is another UHD release. They're coming thick and fast. I know more and more of them. I'm, I'm I'm not, I'm not surprised by some of the choices that are being made to to upgrade to yeah. 4K, but I'm a little uh, I, I I'm yeah I, like you. I I don't have any plans to buy a 4K player anytime soon. So yeah, no. No, it's difficult to save up to buy one when you keep buying the discs. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yes, it's, yes, exactly. It's like a catch-22. There's no point buying a player if you haven't got any discs, but you can't afford the player because you keep buying the discs. It's, it is, it is a horrible situation to be in, yeah, a vicious it's circle. Such, I know, like we have it so tough. Uh, that's sarcasm in case anybody can't tell. Okay, anyway, thank you everybody for listening. Please do, uh, you know, subscribe, which you probably already are because you're listening to this. But tell your friends to subscribe. Share us on social media or just, uh, you know, if you're walking through the jungle, just jump up on a vine, swing through the trees, shouting Wild Wild Podcast. And let's see if we can get a few more listeners that way. <laughs> or, if, or if that will simply bring the gendarmes to <laughs> to take you away. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, thank you again, Rod, for doing this. It's always fun. Always a blast. Thank you for doing this little mini season of Jungle Girl films. It it does my heart good. Yes, we're doing this just for you. So uh, it's <laughs> yes, I know that you don't enjoy this at all. It's like charity work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye for now. Bye, bye, everyone. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.